This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hello, and with me, Cam Raslan, today we have the returns of. He is an actor, he's a writer, um, he is Na'al Murad. Hi, everybody, good to be back. Hello, and and uh, she is a writer, and she is an actor, and she's a director, and she is, um, well, she is Instant Cafe Theatre. She is Joko Kathas. Hello, I'm also Na'a Murad. And she is... And I'm Joko Kathas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Our secret yeah. identities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so our three topics this week are, topic number one is, um, uh, why is Singapore called Singapore when there are no lions? in Asia, yeah, in, in Southeast Asia. And uh, topic number two is plot versus character. And finally, topic number three is masks. So, nah, topic number one, Singapura. Yes, Singa, which is um, Sanskrit lion. And uh, Yeah, well, I, I'd like to thank um, our mutual friend Stevie for bringing this up on Twitter and making me think about the whole issue. So thank you, Stevie, for listening. Okay, so it's Sangnila Utama, right? Well, um, every schoolboy and girl remembers this from a, a bit of it from their, their history books but how Sangrila Utama was a prince of Srivijaya was I suppose having a bit of a picnic or he was with his men they were scoping out new islands in the, in the edge of empire including the island of Tamase which um, was what Singapore was called back 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 in the day um, over 800 years ago and um a lot of weird things happened on that trip, but the, the weirdest thing is um, when he reached the beach with his men, his sailors and his soldiers and everything, he saw a weird cat-like creature that had a red body and, a, and had a black head, which <laughs> nobody listening now would even remotely connect that with a lion. But when he asked one of his retainers, um, the chap said, oh, it's singer. Oh, that's a lion. And so, hmm, interesting. So he decided to build, a, he, he loved Tamasi, so he decided to build, a, I suppose, a town there or, or at least a trading block or whatever it was at first and called it Singapura, Lion City. So you could blame the retainer because <laughs> obviously the retainer, you know, wasn't keeping up with his David Attenborough and just looked at a, this animal and just said, Lion is a singer. And um, over the years, a lot of naturalists have tried to explain it away. It could have been a a Borneo um, bay cat because they are red, but yes, but they are in Borneo. You know, everybody's been trying to find out what this animal, some people even suggested that red body, black head could be a wild boar, but you know, wild boar pura did sound very good. So they, they might have used their imaginations there. So I I don't know. I'm, I guess I'm heading towards a theory or just, just to explain why lions um, were even were even considered back in Southeast Asia when we do not have lions. And so we have perfectly good tigers and leopards, and yet you know you don't have you know harimau pura and harimau bintang pura, anything like that. Don't know why, but a lion gets all the credit. Maybe this is the reason. But first things first, the Malay Annals, uh, which is which is the the book which which describes all the kings from way way back is known to be this strange mixture of history and mythology. I mean, if you can imagine Shakespeare's historical plays suddenly mixed in with Midsummer Night's Dream and The Tempest, you know, you'd have, and lo, the king, the blah, 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 dry stuff, and then all of a sudden the dragon lands in the field, and, you know, um, 
a fairy queen gives Henry V um, Excalibur to fight or something, you know, weird little digressions like that. So, so the Malay Annals cannot be taken as canon, I suppose. Uh, it, it's um, a lot of people um, don't even think Sangnila Utama existed or his, his line of family. It may have been exaggerated or it may have been a portmanteau of different kings all mushed into, into one person. But let me go back to lions then. We, lions at one point in history were, uh, you could find them all over India, all over the um, Central Asia, all the way up to Greece, Northern Greece even. Mm-hmm. And um, of, of course, all that's left is the Indian, the Asiatic lion, which is, which is um, only concentrated at um, Northern India um, in the Gujarat area. But they used to be widespread at one point. So could, could they have been um, somehow mythologized? I, I think so. Because when you, um, the early empires of Southeast Asia were mostly Buddhist or Hindu. And the mythology of lions was just prevalent. I mean, even, even Buddhism is suffused with um, lion imagery. Like um, Buddha was known as the lion of the Sakyas. Um, yeah. a, a lot of, yeah. But, but, but no, I mean, you know, uh, lions are a mythologized creature up until very recently in Europe. I mean, you didn't have any lions up yeah, there. Yeah. And they were described yeah, all... as lions. And as we all know, you know, dragons are not indigenous to China. They're indigenous to Wales. Or oh, yeah. Liverpool, where they have that weird thing that looks That's like right, a dragon. They, in the it's a griffin, I think. They're, they're, they're indigenous to, um, to Liverpool. But um, I think aside from the myth, I think, I think that um, in the early days, in the Yuan dynasty, caracals and cheetahs and other things from the Muslim part of the empire, from Muslim traders, were considered gifts, were considered... You could send a, a cheetah or a, or a caracal. Caracal is kind of like a, a rather large um, lynx-like cat from Africa and, and the Middle East. They were considered um, currency. And of course, you all know about, about the Tower of London's zoo. Right? It's a thing to send kings cats in particular, or bears, or, mm. or, or magnificent creatures. So I can imagine that in the early Hindu and Buddhist um, dynasties of even Southeast Asia, somebody might have sent in a lion or you know, as a gift. And, and those things just became mythologized, no longer the lion that, that we would recognize today. And it, and it would be, um, it would well, be a bit of a, a, a status symbol. Well, not, no, this... If I can expand out for a moment, uh, Joe, uh, we're all cat lovers here. Yeah, I was just going to actually say that, um, that you know, the, the heraldry of, of lions in uh, coming out of India into the rest of Southeast Asia made the lion a very special creature. So I imagine that the, this retainer, um, Seeing a creature you could not identify, and it could well have been a dappled harimau for we know. Yeah, for we know. Yeah, we probably would have wanted his king to think, well, this is a good island, you should stay here, and, so, and said, well, this is a kind of royal place, this is suitable for you. And so he would have said that he, he saw a lion because that exactly. would make the, the island itself kind of have a, have a kind of royal uh, aura about it, you know? And, and legendary. I mean, my, my theory is basically this I think it's the Alexander the Great connection. You know how our early kings. Um, even Sangila Utama claimed, or at least the claim was, that, that he is descended from Alexander. Yeah. So, so many of our, our ancient kings were obsessed with being, you know, what Alexander was doing <laughs> down in, in uh, he never got past northern India, but the, everybody claims because this man was as legendary as a lion. I mean, Iskandar, Iskandar, is the, the, you know, Iskandar Zukainan, as he ended up being called. Everybody was obsessed to be descended from Alexander, and Alexander was a known lion hunter. A lot of the legends mm. and a lot of uh, paintings and, 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 and stories came of him and his lion hunts. 
Right. He used to be this fearless lion hunter in the days when you didn't have guns, which you know, it's mm. quite a feat, I would imagine. So Joe is right. I think it, what, what, what happens then is the story gets muddied and mucked up, but it's that connection of wanting to be part of that esteemed dynasty Mm. Well, of Alexander well, of Lyons and things. Well, I would agree with Joe, and I think that ultimately it, the, the fellow who uh, said it, it, it was a big uh, real estate ploy. It just sounds <laughs> so much better. It's like Sevilla, isn't it? Or what was the other one? Um, Kwasa Damansara, because Kwasa sounds like power. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Could, could so, have been, could have been. The retainer could have been Singaporean and, and you know, had some land to sell. Well, I mean, on Riddiculture, we solve a lot of uh, issues. So we've solved that one. We solved the naming of uh, Singapore. Mm-hmm. Uh, we move it's, on going, those... it's going to be canon now. It's going to be in every history book. Cam <laughs> Na'a and Joe says. <laughs> <laughs> so we move on, though, topic number two, which is uh, the issue of plot versus character. Now, the three of us are, are writers, and we've come across this many times. And, and you'll see it all the time when you watch um, movies, when you read literature. It's... Uh, it's um, Plot versus characters. What, how do we? How, what, what is plot? Plot is sort of the things that happen mm. in a story. Um, I wouldn't call it story per se. It's the things that happen. So, for instance, um, the the terrorists take over the tower, and John McCain kills them all one by one until there's only one left. The end. That's plot. Uh, character, though, would be more like um, uh, where in Hans Gottfried, Gruber has a god awful accent. For example, that would be character. <laughs> yeah, well, character would be, you know, in The Godfather, uh, Michael Corleone starts out as a, a, an idealistic young man who wants to have no part of the, the mafia family. And through circumstances, he changes and he decides, he chooses to join and he becomes corrupted and powerful and, and really nasty. And, and, and we, we follow the journey of his character change. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I've mentioned are movies. And in movies... There's always going to be something happening, pretty much. Whereas in novels, my favorite novel is uh, Charles Dickens's Bleak House. It's a really big, thick book. I think it's the longest book I've ever read. And, and, and it's my favorite book, but I cannot for the life of me tell you what it was about. I don't know what happened. Um, I have, there are so many characters, and I, I really don't know how they connect with each other. And, and things did happen, and it's amazing. <laughs> yes, um, yeah. and uh, and so I'm wondering uh, which trumps the other. I mean, can you have a successful, happy uh, movie or film where it's just character? Or do you need a story? Do you need a plot? Do you need to find out why Singapore is called Singapore? Yeah, well, they, they say that character is plot, right? So the plot of Godfather is is because if it. it it follows because Michael the, decides to hunt the father. Yeah. Yes, uh, character moves plot, and so of course his character then creates the plot. I mean, that's the that's the basis of something like like Oedipus, right? You are your you will fulfill your character's destiny, and what is destiny but actually manifestation of self, manifestation of of character. So I guess, and even I, I would think that um, um, what's what's the name of um, his character? John McClane. Uh, John McClane. It's a, it is his character to, you know, well, mm-hmm. imposed upon him to be heroic and to try to save the day rather than think, well, I can just get the air vent out of here, you know? Um, and then, therefore, there'll be the slow killing of all these various terrorists. So that, that But ha- having said that, Joe, you, you also open it up for, I think they both connect with each other. I mean, plot also moves character. 
right. you could have the most interesting character, but nothing happens. Then none of that character comes to fore. Like if um, John McClane went to the tower and instead, you know, um, there was a, a fire drill. It'd be very boring because he'll just be doing, oh, it's a fire drill. Yeah. But his character comes out from the fact that Hans Gruber and his gang is there. I can't even remember what they were doing. They were holding the building to ransom or, or something. And, and therefore, character, character is brought up by plot and mm -hmm. plot changes due to character. So it, it, it's, it's a circle. It can't really be, you can't separate them. Well, but the, big house, I can't explain. <laughs> Michael Corleone thinks interesting because, of course, you can think you can say that he's changed. His character has changed, or was that always his character? You know, which aspects of his character would then have created this plot? You know, is he mm. was he a character who was always hugely loyal? He wanted to have nothing to do with his 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 father, but then his love for his family and what happened to them then shifts him, right? And maybe he doesn't doesn't want to have, to have anything to do with his family because he's afraid that he may have aspects of them in him, right? Now, I mean, you know, they say the old, the old cliche, like conflict builds character. So in a sense that he may never have needed to tap into that part of him if mm -hmm. there wasn't that war between yeah. the five families. No, so I, I just want to ask, I, I know you said that for you, what you remember about Bleak House is not the plot of Bleak House, but all the many characters. But there are so many characters, right? And, and they must have some sort of story. And they do have some sort of story of Jandice and Jandice. You, you know, the, the, the book begins with uh, talking about this uh, law case called Jandice v. Jandice. Mm. And it's just an amazing chapter that just describes the law courts. Mm. And it sets you up as being, this is what it's going to be all about. And I remember the, the, the opening chapter. And I have no recollection what, what, how it connected <laughs> anything. Now, it just might be me, me being lazy and having a poor memory. But he wrote his books in installments. Mm -hmm. uh, for, Making it up as he went along, maybe even. Well, yes. he had a he had a he had a, a story arc. Um, he did have a he did plot it out, and then he would write um, I don't know a thousand five hundred words or something each week and and build it up. And he, that would be how he would make his money. One of his books, though, um, talking about Dickens here, um, Hard Times. On the other hand, he written really plot heavy. It just sticks to the plot. I mean, the characters are amazing and everything as well. But it was the one time when he goes plot 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 plot. And um, because it was a different economic model for him. And he succeeds in that as well. But, but me and Nata come from film background where, you know, a film has to be, if it's a, if it's a romantic comedy, it's got to be 90 minutes. And that's it. Mm. Right? Not 91 minutes. There, is, there minutes. is a stricter formula yeah. than, Whereas, than novels. Or Joe, on the, Joe, but Joe, on the other hand, is from a theater background. Yeah. Where, which does not necessarily have those restrictions, where you can you can investigate whatever. Yeah, I think what for me is interesting about Bleak House, right? Because I think what Dickens wanted to do with Bleak House is to expose these sort of law cases, which, I mean, Jandice and Jandice was based on a true court case, which had dragged on for like 80 years, apparently, before it was eventually resolved. So I think he was trying to highlight, because he worked in the courts a lot, right, in his early career, uh, reporting. And I think he was trying to highlight how the kind of injustices which happened, you know, throughout society. So I, I do feel there is a big plot, actually. Oh, no, there is. There, which no, no, is there all is. about, because uh, everybody's connected back in some way. I mean, most of the characters are connected back in some way to this god-awful case. You know, everybody's lives is made misery uh, by it. People, people kill themselves because of it. People are penniless because of it. People, um, you know, cheat and steal and lie uh, or hope or try to get married, you know, hoping that this will get resolved. And uh, it, kind of, it kind of destroys everybody. It's 
Yeah, that, there is a plot. There is a plot. Uh, I don't doubt that. Absolutely. Yeah. And, it, and it, 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 it drove him on in his writing. He, he mm. adhered to it. But he also, um, which is very not modern, it's very not film, mm. where he was able to take a simple plot point moment mm. and expand it out into these uh, long descriptions of character. Um, who, who Characters who were completely marginal in the end to the plot. Mm. And and that is, I mean, the economics of film would not allow for that. Mm -hmm. You just can't do that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, John Le Carre but, does that kind of thing in his books, and then it's stripped out in his in the movies of it. And and, yeah. and the movies are so much poorer for. But that. having said that, Cam, about movies and all that, I think people are coming back to that kind of storytelling, the whole Dickensian thing, uh, with 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 the, with the idea of mini series and con yeah. continuing series, because then sometimes a whole season or even even if it's five seasons. It all revolves around, like Joe said, one case and how it affects a bunch of people. And you're seeing more and more um, Line uh, of television YouTube. series that, that, yeah, that don't really have, it does have an overriding you know, arc of, of storytelling, but it doesn't have to stick to that very much. You go off and you study what happens to character B because you know, um, the town is being invaded by creatures from another dimension or whatever. I mean, even if it's something as, as fanciful as that, um, mm. it does not need to, like a movie, resolve everything in three acts or in 80 minutes or 120 minutes. It can just explore one element and all the branching elements mm. for as long as it wants. I guess also Dickens trying to be popular, right? So he's he's trying to he's oh he he wants to have this really heavy plot, which is all about you know legal things and law and all the rest of it. But he wants to make sure his his readers come along with him, which is why he invents all these very comic characters, right? So I think there's such a huge range of characters because he needs to make sure that he plots this big story about about legal uh, daring do's but keeps everybody interested by all the little kind of weird characters which he peppers mm. his story with. And, and, and you're right, it goes off on a complete tangent, just sort of follows their story for a while because people like it. They, they provide the kind of comic interlude. I guess in theatre in theater terms, they would be like the porter in, in the Scottish play, in, in, I won't say the name of the Scottish play, but, you know, that kind of character, because you need that kind of comic relief, right, in a mm. novel or in a play which has such serious intent. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they laugh, Absolutely. they cry, yeah. they they are intrigued, they're scared. The, the, the Bollywood everything. approach, pretty much. I think that's um, yeah. where storytelling always yeah. was. You know? yeah. All the well, epics were told in five or six hours live by actors. I mean, yeah. we're talking about. Yeah. Well, well, move on though. But I mean, folks out there, uh, you know, when you're watching something, just sort of like weigh it up. Say, is this we're going to plot, plot, plot? I mean, what's the character? That kind of thing. This is what. Everyone's always working on when they're trying to work out how to write a script. Um, so, yeah, appreciate us more. That's all, that's all we're saying. <laughs> <laughs> but in a moment, though, um, well, I think it might be related, actually. Uh, the, the final topic will be masks here on A Bit of Culture, BFM 89.9. And we're back with myself, Cam Rustler, Na'a Murad, and now Hello. Joe Kukutas. Um, masks, Joe. Yes, yeah, so, well, I thought, you know, since we're all wearing masks right now, and the other day I had to go out two masks and a shield. So, of course, I, I began thinking a lot about how we're all wearing masks. And, you know, you know I'm a theatre person, so I've always been very interested in masks. And masks have been used uh, in all cultures globally uh, in performance, but 
it started off as something that people used in ritual performance, right? Um, and and they, they're still used in, you know, ritual performances today. They're used for exorcisms. They, they had a very sacred nature. Uh, often masks were created for a particular performance and then afterwards they were burnt because they, they carried too much juju, I suppose. And, you know, and Western theater was very influenced by, by Greek theater. And it was the Greeks who started this idea of, of the masks in Europe, at least. Um, and it started off really because they were, they were doing rituals to Dionysius, who is the god of the harvest, the god of fecundity, also the god who drank a lot. So in the uh, rituals, the communicants would, would wear um, clothes to look like Dionysius, they'd wear goat skin, and they'd drink lots of wine. They weren't wearing masks, but they would drink lots of wine. And the idea of drinking the wine is to lose yourself, right? To not be yourself anymore. Um, and then later, of course, I guess they, they realized that this actually is, it doesn't really necessarily make for, for something that's um, um, very, um, what's, uh, can hold an audience because if, 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 if your communicant is completely drunk, he may forget what he's supposed to be doing next. So later they transform the idea of, sort of drinking yourself into a state of otherness. Now he's getting the audience drunk, which is, which is a... Yeah. And what, well, so what they did was they had the idea of transforming the idea into masking. So instead of drinking a lot in order to get into that, that other state, they masked themselves. So at first they just sort of hung a linen piece of cloth over their faces. But what they found by hanging this piece of cloth over their face, then the, lead, the person who is the communicant could manifest the God who they were trying to invoke. So this symbolically, the performer of the ritual would then take on the character of the God. And because now they are the character of the God, they will speak in, in the first person like the God. And of course, as soon as you speak in the first person as somebody else, then you are a actor, you're, you're now a performer. And that's how this, this, the kind of the art of drama began, at least in, in the West. And, I, and I'm quite sure that these were similar things which happened elsewhere in the world. <clears throat> in the West is particularly well documented. And of course, then later you had you can see Greek masks very clearly in performance. You'd have these um, massive masks because in the theaters, people were very far away. So you had masks that were bigger than your head so people could see you. And you had three main kinds of masks, comedy, tragedy, satire masks. But even in Asia, you see in like in Japan, the no theater mask, they have like 450 types of masks uh, that you can put on to wear as a performance. Mm, Balinese. Um, yeah, Bali. Uh, the, the face paint in Chinese opera is essentially a mask. Yeah, basically. So I guess I wanted to talk about, you know, what, what, what does a mask do to us? What does wearing of a mask do to the, the human psyche? And why was masks wearing so important for so long? I mean, then it became a theater thing, right? And again, the, the actor in theater is supposed to lose himself and become somebody else. So why do we need this as human beings? You know, what does it do to us? Oh, and it's interesting, Joe. Masking, doing something to us now because of this pandemic. Uh, well, you know, I, it's interesting that all the um, examples you gave and the one that came to me was like Bali because basically in all cases, you're trying to be something more than human, something, mm -hmm. something extraordinary. I mean, like you put on a barong mask and, you know, you're really a barong. You don't have mm -hmm. to, to, to pretend, but, but it's all about the body then. It becomes a, a body style acting thing and voice. But... Um, and that was that was it then, I suppose. You needed to, like you said, because you were far away, you had a huge audience, you needed to portray something superhuman, mm -hmm. extraordinary. And then, you know, Laurence Olivier came up and said, why don't you try acting? 
old boy. You're absolutely right. Actually, with, with the advent of realism in Europe in the kind of 17th and 18th century, that's when mask work and theatre really sort of kind of fell away and you don't really mm. see mass theatre in the yeah. West. Like well, but in tandem with that was also was that uh, in Europe anyway was uh, uh, that women could play women's parts. Yes, but the, the mm. women's not playing play women's parts uh existed uh, not for a very long window of time, actually, even in, let's say, medieval Europe. It, before that, women could play women, um, and yet they still wore masks. So the wearing of masks was more than just because of, of you know, a kind of a, um, a kind of a state censorship of, of, of women's uh, part in theatre. Uh, in fact, in, in early Japanese theatre, it was only women who were allowed to perform, and yet they still wore masks. Later, because they became so popular, then they banned women from performing in it. Oh, wow. uh, and, and that's when men started performing in it because they didn't want to, because they thought just by banning women, they would ban theater. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if this is related at all, um, but I've always been very fascinated by the, the cave paintings of Lascaux. Mm. Uh, very incredibly prehistoric, They're like 30,000 years old. They're insanely old. They're even before the last ice age. And uh, in those, there are thousands of paintings of um, animals. And they are, which relates to to the Singapore story, in that they are illustrations of the animals that came by very occasionally, uh, hit hippopotamus and very large aurochs. None of the 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 animals that the people who lived around there actually ate on a daily basis, which were reindeer, none Ooh. whatsoever. And also of the thousands of images, there's only like one image of a human being, and and even that human being appears to be being killed by a big bull mm -hmm. and appears to have a mask on his face um and that mask has a beak so it has like a bird-like quality mm -hmm. quality i mean I, I unless the the artist was just not very good uh appears to be showing a man with a with a bird mask <laughs> and um but it, it's also unusual there were so few representations of the regular stuff that they came across. And I wonder if you're going for a theatrical experience, you're going to, you, you're going to want something bigger than just the stuff that's the kitchen sink drama. You, you, want, you want to experience those things you don't ever come across in normal life. So in art too. Which I think are kind of interesting, right? One is this idea of, as I pointed out and you're pointing out as well, that you're going to, you're going to do something extraordinary, right? But I think what I'm trying to, what I'm interested in is what is that thing that you need to mask yourself in order for that thing which is actually inside you to come out? Because it's not just that you put them on the mask and the mask is doing all the work. The mask allows you to tap into this. So you're saying, in fact, that within the human body is this ability to connect to, for example, you can become the god. You can become that strange bird-like creature. You're not just acting like it. You are becoming it's yeah, but Joe, Joe you can answer that question for us because you do it, albeit not wearing a physical mask. When you are acting, you are acting a character who is not you. And you, you take on that character and you like to act and you like to do it a lot. So, you know, what, what is it doing for you? Um, yeah, Joe, you've described acting sometimes as being completely taken over by the, by the character that you no longer feel like yourself, which has yeah. never happened to me on stage. Very, very rarely. Well, you know, so I, obviously I, you, you felt it. You, you know what it feels like. Well, I, I, I think it's very different, though, though still that than, than when you wear a mask, because I have done a bit of mask work uh, in workshops and things where I can. Um, and I am always really fascinated by actually what happens when you put on a mask. You really do lose 
a sense of self in a way that I, I've never experienced in any other kind of acting. And, you know, they say that the mask itself has its own power, has its own ability, right? And that's why I think people destroyed masks after, after they used it in these mm. rituals and, and, and such. So I'm thinking about what it, what it is that happens to us when we mask ourselves. I mean, you know, you have Spider-Man with his mask, you have, and like, so, let's say even in Mexico. So Mexico is such a rich tradition of mask wearing, right? And uh, the wrestling, the and luchadors. And now it's still continued, yes, in Cuba Libre, right? They still have it there because they still know that by putting on some kind of mask, it something else comes out, right? Well, yeah. okay, well, I, I, I will answer it as best I can on a personal level, which is that, um, you know, all these, these people out in Europe and in the UK who are really anti-mask and they get really upset Mm. And you sort of think, what, what, what's your problem? You know, just, just wear a bloody mask. But actually, in a way, I've had that journey myself. I remember when I, when I went uh, to Japan a long time ago, and people were wearing face masks, yeah. um, just as a matter of course. And, I, and, it, and it actually made me kind of angry, uh, it, which struck me as being a very strange reaction because um, I felt that they were deliberately subsuming their sense of identity and individuality which is something which I had always felt was incredibly important. Like the, 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 the single most important thing is to mm -hmm. exercise my sense of individuality in the crowd. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I don't want to just become a, a faceless drone. But then uh, having seen the example of people in Japan and in Korea and the people in Malaysia were sort of like prepared to do it. And well, okay. So I did it and, and, and it actually became very um, comforting mm -hmm. in a way that bottom half of my face, which is a pretty expressive part of my face, people weren't able to decode it. And, and I could just stand there and you know, nobody, we, we would all be looking, we wouldn't look at each other because it was just like, there was nothing to learn by looking at a person's face. But have you, have you guys noticed that, that you become better at reading somebody's eyes? Mm. This is very important. In the last year and a half, I can tell when a person is smiling and can tell when a person is a bit, you know, you say something that you don't quite agree with all from the eyes and, but the problem with the mask is it does, like Cam says, it does make you more generic. That's why people are now wearing, you know, masks with Union Jacks and, you know, with um, Hello Kitty or whatever it is. That don't work. That don't perform that, the function that the mask is supposed to perform. They probably don't, yeah. I have a personal thing too. It doesn't really have to do with masks, but perhaps it's connected because um, the mask may seem to be an alien thing now to, to theatre. But I always felt, I mean, ever since I first, and I'm not, I'm not a, full-time actor or anything, so I haven't done it as much as you, Joe, but ever since I started, I've always felt that, that something changes the moment I get my, my props and my costumes. Yeah. It may not be a mask, but it has the same effect for me. Mm -hmm. When I see myself wearing something which I would never wear, all of a sudden it brings me a lot closer to the, to the character because I am seeing an alternative version of myself and, mm -hmm. and there is a feedback loop between my my what my rehearsal or the work I've done and also like my own visual image of myself. Mm. I remember when I was doing Enemy of the People, the moment I put on that top hat and that green thing, it was so alien to me mm. that when I looked at myself, I, I felt more like that man, that mere mm. character. Mm. So so it's the same thing. It's just that now we are more um I, I think going back to the theater thing, we we are our focus is more on our performance, our face and all that, but there's still that idea of putting on something mm. that changes you, it's still there. It's mm. just that it's not necessarily a mask anymore. Yeah, it's like a paradox, right, which I think I'm interested in, right? So because they say that when you, you put on a mask and, and you hide who you are, but in fact in theatre, when they say you put on the mask, the mask reveals who you are, right? So is the mask that we are wearing now, 
do we see more of who people really are because the mask obscures what is not important? Or is the mask hiding who we are? And it's interesting also what you say, Cam, about the sense of, oh, no, but I need to, I need to show my individuality. Is then this, this, this desire to show individuality different from then the knowing of the self? Because if you're masked, do you go more interior? And then what do you find? Who, do, you be, do you find out who you really are? I, I, these are questions which I, which I just yeah. right now. Yeah. yeah. What do you feel like? Because sometimes I feel that I need to say more when I'm wearing a mask, if I'm in a proper conversation with somebody, because I fear that I'm not coming across. Right. I get that feeling that I'm not coming. Just because the bottom half of my face is not showing, I need to use my words more. Where did Joe go? <laughs> okay, Joe, Joe, just put on a mask. and Just put on a mask and, uh, yeah. and I suddenly lost all respect. For I don't know if that's connected at all. <laughs> um, okay, we must move on though. But I mean, obviously... In these times, it's something I think that we've we've all had to face up to, and it's a very strange thing because you know wearing a mask, no big deal, but and yet it is somehow strangely a very big deal. Yeah. Um, we move on though uh, to the final part of the show, recommendations, where we recommend something that we think might be of interest, and not Murad goes first. Oh, okay. Uh, everybody's probably like quite familiar with the name Jared Diamond, right? Um, Guns, Germs, and Steel, the third eight or something like that. I mean, he writes this this encompassing books that talk about the human condition, civilization, humanity. I just started reading one of his more recent ones called Upheaval, which is very interesting. It, it picks um, five or six countries and moments of upheaval, moments of crisis, including Chile, um, uh, Finland, Indonesia, Australia, Germany, Japan. And um, it's, what's interesting about it, not only does he give you this, this very fascinating... Um, view of, of, of what nations do under crises, but also the reactions, the, 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 the different type of reactions different cultures would have to a particular crisis, whether external or internal. And he even connects it with human crises. That is not so much different when we are under a huge crisis as individuals. The reactions that we, that, 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 that we, we go for, positive or negative, are quite similar to that a whole culture, a whole nation would go through. So it's, it's interesting in both ways. I mean, it's not a self-help book or anything like that, but, but it's, it's very interesting in a sense because he's, he's uh, quite interested in the uh, human behavior under crisis, but he's also interested in you know, the behavior of, of a whole nation, choices we make as a nation under crisis. And it's very, 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 very interesting, I think, um, because Jared Diamond writes in, in very clear and unfussy prose, which is very easy to follow, even when he's getting into like like very deep concepts. Mm-hmm. So, so I I recommend that book because it's 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 uh, just very interesting, and you know so much more about the nations you're reading about. So that's um, Jared Diamond's upheaval. Upheaval. Have you heard yeah. of it? I have not actually, but uh, Guns, Germs, and Steel it. is is still it's, it's just one of the best books. One of my favorite books ever. Yeah. yeah. This one is pretty good too, Cam, and it's only from 2019. So, so a lot of the, when he's talking about where the nations are now, it's quite current. So it's, 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 it's really good. Yeah. It, okay. And gun, Guns, Germs, and Steers, it's mind-blowing, really. But it, and it's so you know, easy, and it's easy to follow, isn't it? I yeah. mean, his, his arguments are so um, practical and so uh, uncomplicated. And, and makes you re, re-examine uh, it, see everything through the prism, almost of... Uh, geographical determinism mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. the geography that you live in is is so impactful on your culture mm-hmm. and you can you can forget 
religions, etc. You know, look at the geography of where you live and how that how that uh, makes you think. Oh well, I'll, I'll check that one out for sure. Yeah. Um, so uh, my recommendation is easily the weirdest recommendation I've ever given on um, a bit of culture. Pokemon Go. No. <laughs> you know, we're talk. These are really awful, strange times, and you know, we're talking about hundreds of people, hundreds, hundreds of Malaysians dying every day. And you know, yeah. how do you cope with that? It just makes no sense. Nothing computes. And so I've been feeling a great sense of anxiety and panic almost whilst I just stay at home. Yeah, I, I am not one for meditation, uh, etc. But I have found something which is um, a couple of things which are really have given me great peace. <laughs> it, this is very weird. Um, and that's uh, two things. One is uh, videos of uh, people having their earwax removed. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it's, no, it's the, it's amazing. It is the most uh, compelling and um, satisfying thing. I I had my ear, my ears cleaned out quite some time ago. It, it was the single most happy moment of my life because one moment I couldn't hear, the next I could. And that I and, agree with you. But watching, <laughs> well, try it. Okay, but I, I mean, will. if you if if you're not capable of going in at that level, I can understand. I can, I can respect that. Um, well, there's another thing. There's this guy in America, and he, what he does is, I think it's just amazing. Um, he's my hero. He goes around and he unblocks drains. And so when it rains, he's out there and he's unblocking the drains. These are proper monsoon drains. I mean, they call them culverts out there. And he's, he's out there and he's with his, got his rake and he, he, he just cleans them. And then you see the water build up and then it breaks through and you're talking about half an hour of just watching him clean a drain and the water clearing out and i used to do this growing up in england uh, uh, it's the most satisfying thing and sounds very sexual well, yeah it's like a release well maybe maybe getting but it, flowing or psychic, a psychic a psychic release as well, well of course, yes, yes yes no absolutely because it's like you know he's working away he's working away and he's explaining what he's doing and it's uh it's fantastic. Then, he, he, and then he it's, it's cheaper than therapy, can. Uh, yeah. Sure. No, don't mock me. All right. I'm not <laughs> weird. It's very satisfying. I mean, that there's one of him, half an hour, he's simply cleaning out a culvert, 10 million hits. Okay? So, I, I, you know, if I'm weird, then so are 10 million others. Right? But, Cam, let me also recommend to you, um, have you seen the marble races? Oh, Started in, in, in somewhere in Scandinavia, marble races. Oh, right. Like yeah, they, yeah. they build those, those. I can watch that for days yeah There's something about watching marbles just race each other yeah yeah <laughs> no that i mean go, go, okay that, that could be a beginner's thing but i mean i'm, I'm talking about the seri this <laughs> yeah, like serious high, level so this guy this guy's post 10 and he's like batman he is my hero so uh i graduated from ear cleaning but also with the ear cleaning thing the the, the vietnamese barbershop fellas just amazing um you can you, when you go to vietnam you, you have your hair cut and then a guy sticks like a screwdriver in your ear <laughs> and you'll never be the same again. Oh, it's great fun. Don't mock me. So uh, I'm, I'm opening up. I'm, I'm, the mask is down. I'm revealing yeah, the, the I'm, real I'm checking it out. I really am. After you this. Should. You should. Uh, I'll stop the drains though. Something, you know, beginner level. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, so, uh, Joe, what have you got? And please make it incredibly weird to sort of like, take away some of the heat from <laughs> you me. Know, I actually forgot to give a recommendation. Um, so I, I'm going to sort of jump in here since we were talking about acting. And um, uh, now I was talking about acting. Um, well, actually, I'd like to recommend, sorry to say this, but because it's something which I'm doing. Uh, but 
um, my theater company is uh, having a reunion and a screening of a play we, which we did many years ago called Aircon. And Na'a played uh, one of the characters in Aircon called Chengu. This, Chengu the, 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 second, the second version, the second run. And what was the second, the second staging? The good yeah. one. The good one. The good one. And um, yeah, so we'll be doing that in uh, September. Um, so I don't know when this is going to get aired, but um, that would be my recommendation. Come and watch, uh, come for the reunion and stay for the, uh, uh, for the screening. So is this, this is an online thing, is it? It'll be online, yes. So, how so we'll we, all watch we... it online too? Yeah. Is it the, the, the uh, I mean, we'll have the, I think the reunion day is on a different day. So there'll be a reunion where we'll get together and talk about the play and the playwright Shannon Shao now lives in the UK will we'll come and talk about his play a bit and we will you know, rem remember some, remember why we liked it and uh, why we thought it was a good play. And then uh, we will be doing a screening, three, three days of screenings of the, of the production. Uh, sorry, and how, how do we find out about this apart from just shouting at the computer? Um, you, you can check Cloud Theatre. Cloud Theatre. Cloud Theatre is a online uh, theatre portal, which has been doing really great work, actually. Now it's become, it's gone global. They're now being used in Taiwan, and I think they're having in talks with countries around the world, or who started in Malaysia. No, really? No, oh, it started in Malaysia. Wow. Yeah. Okay, who started it? Couple, Somebody uh, we know? Three, three Chinese theatre guys who, you know, because wow. of the pandemic, they were like, well, we can't get on stage and do this but we really want to see some theatre, so we'll build this portal for people to put theatre online. And it was a really good model. Malaysia Ballet. Blessed tech-savvy theatre people. Yeah. Yeah. Really? yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I mean, check out Cloud Theatre in general. They've, got, they've always got something on, and we'll be doing something in September. Uh, before they move to Singapore. And before <laughs> 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 Singapore takes them. Tomasek. Yeah. 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 It's called Tomasek. What are they calling it after lions? Who are they kidding? <laughs> So, well, that brings us to the end of uh, this week's show, and it only remains me now to thank special guests, um, Na'a Murad, uh, who's... So thank you at, for listening. And Joe Kukathas. Thank you for listening. And, and myself, Cam Ruslan. And so please join us next week for another exciting episode of A Bit of Culture here on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.